Now, today's sermon is My Friends, My Future. Uh, we've kind of concluded and are transitioning from the selfish versus soul-filled sermon series. This was a sermon that was on the horizon and the fact that we were going to be recognizing our graduating seniors told me, okay, go ahead and do my friends, my future this Sunday. But this is a message not only to 21 and 22 year olds heading out into the next chapters of their young adult life. It's a message for all of us, whether you're 22 or 82 or somewhere in between or somewhere beyond that for that matter. My friends, my future. Uh, let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts to your word and speak to us. Call us to real repentance, faithfulness, and decision-making. True decision-making that can come only by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit that we might walk wisely into our future, our future with you, we pray, by your grace. In Christ's name, amen. So we are, let's be honest, we are acceptance addicts. People are, human people are, uh, in our fallenness, in our fallen human flesh, we are acceptance addicts. We, we want to be accepted and acknowledged and we want to belong. God actually made us like that originally. Um, and you will remember that as we focused in on what our souls in the soul-filled versus selfish series, the fact that even the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, uh, pictorially indicates uh, that we're open throats. Kind of like, remember I talked to you all about, we're kind of like little baby birds waiting to be fed. We're made to be fed by and filled by as living souls by the spirit of God. But the truth is we can be filled by junk food if we allow ourselves to be. I remember we talked about that with the souls, right? Because then once we've rebelled against God and are alienated from God, we can further alienate ourselves and head ourselves in the really wrong direction by allowing ourselves to be filled by the wrong things. Well, so God made us for himself to be, to find our acceptance and belonging in him, but we're prone in our fallenness to look for acceptance and look for love in all the wrong places, right? So uh, Calvin said, John Calvin says that our, the human heart is an idol maker, an idol factory. Well, I would add to that that the human heart is also an acceptance junkie. The human heart is an acceptance junkie. We, we, want, we want acceptance and affirmation. In our fallen flesh, we're desperate for it, uh, fitting in with the people that seem to be what we want to be and hang out with the right kind of people or, or the people who seem to be getting ahead or the people who seem to be cool. We want to be in the right tribe. We don't so much call them tribes nowadays. We call them, you know, clubs, fraternities, associations, this, that, and the other thing. The crowd, right? Uh, that's what we're prone towards because we crave acceptance and belonging. Having real friendships and belonging to the right group. Now, your father, your maker, understands this. Again, he made you like you are. But he wants you, and he's calling you in the way of salvation through Jesus, in the midst of that to have wise, faithful, and faith-encouraging friends as part of your saving communion 
with the ultimate friend, Jesus Christ. Uh, because of all this, God's word says, and we're going to see this as we open God's word, that we should be selective and limited in the number of our close friendships. Let me repeat that. We are supposed to be, and it's in your sermon notes today. You can follow along with the sermon notes. I have this in the outline. We are supposed to be, if you're watching online, it's, it's posted. We are supposed to be selective and limited in our close friendships. Because by the way, you are psychologically and time-wise and otherwise only capable of a few close friendships. And those close friendships are going to determine much of your future. You see, because what I'm saying is this, and I have this also in the notes. My choice of friends, number one, reveals my character as it now is, okay? The people that I choose to be friends with reveals the maturity or lack of maturity of my character right now. In other words, even if I'm supposedly a Christian kid or adult, but I'm going to chase after people who aren't, that's telling me something about my spiritual maturity, okay? Reveals my current character, the state of my soul right now. And number two, frames my future. My, my choice of friends frames my future. Now, I may circulate kind of in, in a range within that frame, but basically my close friends frame the spiritual direction or the walk that I'm on in life, okay? I'm not gonna be outside of the frame of my friends. It just doesn't, doesn't work like that. So if I've got a bunch of friends who are all unfaithful, if I'm supposedly a person of faith, I'm gonna at least fall somewhere within the frame of their tendency towards unfaithfulness. That's just the reality. Again, we're talking about my friends not only being my current mortal future, but also my eternal destination future. Now, does this mean somebody who's truly saved and born again in Christ can lose their salvation because of their friends? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is by their fruit, you will know them and by their friends, you will know them also, okay? That's just what the scripture keeps saying to us over and over again. So let's turn to God's word. We're gonna be begin in uh, the Apostle Paul's great exposition on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's really interesting in the midst of that, in dealing with the resurrection of the body and eternal things and what happens to us in the age to come with the resurrection of the body, Paul breaks out and he, um, he really reprimands and he's kind of humorous in a way. In this little passage we're gonna read, this is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 32 through 34 and the key verse uh, being 33. Hear now God's word. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, he quotes a pagan saying, motto, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now he's going to go to another pagan saying this by a uh, Greek playwright. Uh, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Let me repeat that. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. 
for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. In other words, he's saying some people who are in the church, supposedly Christians in the church in Corinth, actually have no knowledge of God, and they are living, sure enough. They're not actually born-again Christians. They're living, and they're having friendships and lifestyle that clearly indicates they do not know God in the first place. So Paul is saying, look, bad company ruins good morals. Get out of this. Now, let's go back over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. My friends, my future, here it is, Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's a promise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. And then over to Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. My friends, my future. Bad company, number one, ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. It's interesting. Paul is quoting apparently an often repeated uh, motto uh, to the Greco-Roman society that's in Corinth, which he is addressing here, okay? And this is basically a paraphrase from a play that was written uh, by a Greek playwright, playwright named Meander. And Meander's actually quoting something that another Greek playwright named Euripides. Some of you, I, I read Euripides in high school. Uh, some of you may have read some of Euripides' plays, yeah. So bad company ruins good morals. That's interesting. These are pagan writers, but the truth is there's something theologically that's called general revelation. It has not only to do with anybody. You don't have to be born again or living in the Holy Spirit to acknowledge that, oh, there's a creation around me. Maybe there's a creator. Okay, that's called general revelation. But there are other things in general revelation too that people can observe. Like if you go to the edge of a cliff and try to jump off, you may die. Okay, you don't have to be a born-again Christian to figure that one out, right? If you drink poison, you may die. You probably will die, okay? So same kind of thing here. Here is the general revelation principle the company we keep overrides our convictions. But what Paul is saying is this is true also among Christians. Let me repeat that. Not just non-Christians, but Christians. You can, you can give me a child and I can preach him a sermon every hour as he's growing up. You can say prayers all over him. You can bring him to church every single Sunday, which you totally should, parents. Okay, you should, totally should. You can have that child memorize most of the Bible and be able to recite it to you. But you give Satan a day or a week or a month of that child or young person, or by the way, older person, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and the crowd will overtake the convictions. The Bible is telling us this is true about believers as well as non-believers. The crowd trumps all that conviction stuff. 
the Bible is. So it actually matters. It, it's not just a practical matter or a negative concern. It's a positive concern for Christian discipleship. It really matters whom you run with. If you lie down with dogs, you know the old proverb goes, you're going to get up with fleas. If you run with the crowd that's running to the edge of the cliff, I don't care if you can sing Amazing Grace by heart better than anybody else in the church. If you jump off the cliff, you're going to die. If you run with the wrong crowd, it's going to override your convictions. You think about your life, right? How many of your bad decisions were prompted by your worst enemies? In other words, you know, you're at a party and a, a guy you know hates you comes across the room and says, hey, smoke this. You know I hate your guts, so go ahead and try it out. H how many of us had that experience where we made a bad decision? But conversely, how many of us made bad decisions based on our crowd or our so-called friends, right? <laughs> it's the crowd, the friends that you hang out with. And there is a tug of war going on. God's truth versus bad company. It's a tug of war for your soul and your eternal soul. Uh, Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. Because here's the deal. It's like if you're trying to please a whole group or a whole crowd or you're hanging out with too large a crowd, there's a pretty good likelihood you're going to get in trouble just because you're hanging out with a large crowd. Okay? There's a pretty decent chance of that. But sometimes it can be just one bad friend. I mean, just one bad friend. Um, I'm reminded of Judah's escapades with Hira, the Adullamite. You remember in Genesis chapter 38, it's kind of the interlude to the Joseph story, and it actually covers like over 20 years. But uh, Judah, it says in Genesis 38:1, he turns away from and departs from his brothers. And his brothers are not that great, if you remember the Joseph story, right? But he turns away from the faith family of Jacob, and he inclines himself to, could mean actually goes over to live with, apparently that's the case, a Canaanite guy, Kira the Adullamite. And he starts parting with his buddy, Kira the Adullamite, and looking for a woman. So sure enough, he's not supposed to marry a Canaanite woman, but if he's parting with and living with Kira the Adullamite in a Canaanite town, guess what he does? It says he, he, he takes the daughter, the Canaanite daughter of Shua. Judah does. I mean, Judah, by the way, who's in the line of the Messiah now. <laughs> but, but he's hanging out with Hira the Adullamite. You know what I'm saying? He's hanging out with Hira the Adullamite. And he takes for himself and goes into, that's the, the Hebrew, that's what it says in your English translation, goes into uh, this Canaanite girl. And she becomes pregnant, so apparently he ends up marrying her. And so he ends up married to a Canaanite. He's not supposed to be doing this. But hey, he's running with Hira, the Adullamite. And then you go through the story. You know, you may remember he, he then, next stage, Judah marries off his eldest son to a, another Canaanite woman named Tamar. Or Tamar. And uh, uh, the, the first son dies. And then the, the brothers don't want to marry her, you know, do their covenantal duty because they think she's a black widow. And you may remember this story. She ends up dressing up like a prostitute 
uh, the, the whole Judah story. It's a very famous story. But guess what? what? What's happened is Judah has lost his first wife. She died. And so what does Judah do? He goes back to hang out with Hira the Adolamite again. And Hira the Adolamite has this great idea. It's like, look, it's sheep shearer time. Let's go up to the sheep shearers. And you know all those cult prostitutes are hanging around too. So maybe this will help you out a little bit. And so that's how Judah ends up with Tamar thinking she's a prostitute. Y'all remember the story in the Bible? Okay, that's one friend that Judah, I mean, this is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. This is Judah. Now, Judah, Judah has a later turn of heart, but it's really not good for him to be hanging out for years on end and whenever he needs to have new social engagement to be advised by Kira, the Adolamite. Okay, we all know people who make these kind of decisions, right? Um, now, should I be selective and limited in my true friends and even my relatively close companions? The Bible says, yes. Proverbs 12, 26, the New King James Version translates this verse better, the, the, the Hebrew verb here, the yater. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, the ESV translates it, the one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. But, but the Hebrew term there, the yater, it, it means like to spy out. And probably the best understanding of this, like in the New King James and like in the NIV, is that you're supposed to spy out and do due diligence on the people you're going to be close friends with. Wait a minute, but she's prettier, he's nicer, he's like the quarterback, so shouldn't I just automatically be, no, no, do due diligence, spy it out. And by the way, then if you are going to counsel and lead your friends, your neighbors, in who to be friend, whom to be friends with, you will have done your due diligence. Because see, friends direct or drive me where I'm going and sometimes where I shouldn't go. You ever had those situations? I did as a teenager where I got into a car with a group and all of a sudden I realized this was a really bad mistake. Anybody ever had one of those? And, and usually the worst, the worst and most assertive of the group becomes the dominant decision maker. You guys remember this? This is the way these groups work. It's like, what? <laughs> no, 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 please, please, let me out. I'll walk home. Get, get me out of this car. Some of you have gone on spring break trips, maybe even vacations where it's like, why are we, oh, how did I let my, how did I get myself into this situation? Right? So number two. My friends are my school and my future. Right, here's the reality. Even if I dropped out of high school, my friends are my school and my future. Even if I went to college and I'm, I'm an honors graduate, the truth is the most influential things relating to my spiritual development have to do in large part, not in sole part, but really significantly relate to my friends. You ask people about their college life. You know, if I asked one of you about your college life, if I said, hey, remember that uh, test that you took in your junior year on this subject? Could we just go over some of the details on that? You're not gonna remember that. But if I ask you about your friends and some of the parties you went to and some of the connections you made with, that's the dominant thing, right? So I don't care whether you're a, a major, you know, honored student in college. I don't care if you're going and getting a PhD. The real school that educates you is front and foremost, your group of friends. My friends are my school and they are my future. 
And, and the scripture says, a companion of fools will, it's a promise, will suffer harm. I mean, it's cut and dry. <laughs> a companion of fools will suffer harm. As Ronald Knox says in the English translation from the, the Catholic Vulgate, fool he ends that fool befriends. I've got that in the notes. I know that's hard to keep up with. Listen to this again. Fool he ends that fool befriends. In other words, you make friends with fools, you yourself end up as a fool. My friends, my future. Here's the reality. We will learn to fit in with and become like our friends. We will learn to fit in with and become like our friends. Another Old Testament story, Rehoboam and his brash friends. You may remember this, Rehoboam, his daddy, Solomon, has died. He takes over the kingdom, you know, the United Kingdom of Israel, but it's fragile. You've got Jeroboam in the background. He's been down in, in uh, Egypt, Jeroboam has. He's come back. Jeroboam, like the leader of the northern tribes, they all come before Rehoboam and they say, look, your dad was really way too tough on us, you know, all these building projects. Uh, the, the, the armies, the wars, the garrisons. Um, we want you to lay off a little bit. We're, we're worn out. If you will be light with us and let us just enjoy the fruit of Solomon and what he's built up in this kingdom, we will serve you forever. Um, and so Rehoboam asked his senior advisors, the guys who used to work for Solomon, what should I do? And they say, look, at this point, at this juncture in the kingdom, give them what they want serve them as a faithful, humble king, and they will turn around and give you their lives. But Rehoboam doesn't like that advice, so he goes to his old fraternity brothers, the guys he grew up with, it says, the young men he grew up with, and he says, what do y'all think I should do? And they say, you come down on them hard. You tell them, if you thought Solomon was hard on you, my daddy, my little finger is gonna be heavier on you that Solomon ever was. I'm gonna tax you and work you like dogs. He, he disciplines you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. Now, does that sound like it's gonna go over well? No, and of course, you immediately get the major split of the kingdom of Israel and the 10 northern tribes leave because he listened to his so-called friends. I call this, I just kind of coined this for this sermon, D-U-I-F driving under the influence of friends. It's just not good <laughs> to drive under the influence of friends. Um, friends rub off on us. We start to smell like our friends. We start to smell like our friends and family. Y'all know that, right? That actually literally happens, but I'm talking about spiritually. The Bible talks in terms of we give a fragrance that's either offensive to God, a spiritual fragrance, or that is sweet to God. That's the way the Old Testament talks about us before God, right? If you are hanging out with friends whose fragrance is offensive to God, so also will you be before God, right? You want to go with those. So um, here's the basic question to ask. It's in your notes. Are my friends in my crowd encouraging or eroding my faithfulness? And then you, you really need to make decisions on this. Uh, from a wisdom standpoint, from the Proverbs standpoint, are they wise, simple, or foolish? There's three categories in the Proverbs, basic clusters of people. You got the foolish, they're wise in their own minds. 
They think they know everything. They're hard-headed. They're, 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 they go with their emotions. They don't fear God. They don't revere God. They don't, they don't like instruction. They reject instruction. They reject discipline. That's fools. We, we kind of all know some people who are clearly in this category, right? Then you've got this big swath of people who are called the simple. And they can be swayed by the foolish very easily. And the Proverbs keep saying to like young people and simpletons, please, please get over here with the wise people. To me. You know, and then you've got the wise. The wise fear the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of you know, understanding. Fear of the Lord, reverence for the Lord. And reverence for the Lord in the Proverbs is also equated with, what does that mean to fear the Lord? It means to abide in his word and listen to him. Instead of, by the way, all those foolish friends over here, right? So you got to decide. Are your people respecters of human opinions or God's opinion? And what do they lead you to do? Where are they leading you on the weekend? Where are they leading you on Sunday morning? To be with God and his people or for that next tournament or that next vacation or what? I mean, at a certain point, yeah, yeah, tournaments and vacations, they're fine. But at a certain point, you got to ask yourself, am I, am I just hanging with these people because their kids do the same thing my kids do? Or I like to, you know, I like to do the same things. And you know what? We're kind of ending up over in this foolish category really fast instead of wise. Even though they've always been my friends or their kids play on the same teams with me, at a certain point, we have to make decisions. The Bible says these are life and death decisions. Now, we're not saying that we can't have a broad, you know, net of contacts that we still reach out to, right? The unfaithful or maybe unbelieving friends or, or people who claim they're Christians but aren't living a discipleship life. We can still pray for them, reach out to them, text them, call them up occasionally. Do we let them close into our heart? Do we hang out with them all the time? No. The Bible says no. But I grew up with him. I don't care. The Bible says, look, you still love him, you still reach out to him, but he is not your inner core. You need wise, faithful people who encourage you as your inner core because you only have the capacity to be close to a handful of people. And those people need to be strong believers and preferably at least a couple of them need to be wiser than you are. A man of many companions um, may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, and let me just say this too, having too many friends is like building a house without any kind of clear foundation. It's just building all over the place. So a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The, the many companions, that word there, there's this word, kind of general word for like neighbor, friend, companion, that's um, rea in, in the Hebrew, rayim here. Um, but then the next word is really interesting. But there is a friend, and the word there is ohab. It comes from the basic Hebrew word for love, ahav. And this is a friend who actually loves you. Not just using you, loves you. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend, a real friend, somebody who loves your soul, who sticks closer than a brother. Now that's rare. You know, in the Bible, the family's like the big deal. So this is really interesting. This is actually prophetic, pointing us toward Jesus and the kingdom in various ways. This verse is one of the great verses of the Old Testament, in fact, pointing us to Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother and is more important than your brother than your literal brother or sister, your sibling or your family. And as I often tell 
you know, teenagers in confirmation class and other times where they're talking about making a commitment. Look, you've got to decide. It's like at school. If, if, if Fred is your best friend, but you've got other people who are supposedly your friends too who don't like Fred and who talk badly about Fred and who pull you away from Fred, you've got to make a decision at a certain point. Are you a friend with Fred or them? And in the same way, if Jesus is supposedly your Lord and your best friend, you have to make decisions at school about whom you're going to date, about every kind of relationship you're in. If these people are either bad-mouthing or just ignoring and blowing off Jesus, I got to decide, am I with them or Jesus? This is the real faith decision here, right? So it's great to go through confirmation, but we're talking about real life here. And it pertains to everything, including whom you date, whom you get engaged to, whom you marry, and the little posse that you hang out with. The posse that you hang out with needs to be centered around him. That's the reality. If Jesus is my best friend forever, who sticks with me forever, which is then number three, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Proverbs 13, 20. C.S. Lewis in his four loves, talking about this friendship love that I've already mentioned, says that above companionship, there's a level of friendship love. You know, the the friendship is born at that moment when one person, Lewis says, says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one. You're with Jesus too? Oh, like you don't just say you're with Jesus, you're actually with Jesus? Oh, wow. Remember Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in Daniel chapter 1? I'm sure the biggest crowd of people, including people that Daniel and, you know, Hananiah grew up with, they were going ahead and caving to the Babylonians. Remember this about the food dedicated and the wine dedicated to the idols? Remember this? It's not like there, there, were, there were lots of Jewish young men there, you know, who were being trained to serve the Babylonian empire. Four of them, four of them said no. And it was important. You know, I'm sure Daniel could have done it on his own. And by the way, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael made a really good friend decision to go with Daniel instead of the big crowd, including the cool kids and the people they grew up with. They said, no, we're not taking it. And they appealed to the steward and they were allowed on this test case. Y'all remember this, right? To be different. Um, biblical qualities of a good friend, wisely candid, lovingly sharpening my faithfulness. I'll come back to this next week. Uh, as we move into Mother's Day as well, just keep these notes. But, but a, a good friend is going to be candid, tell you the truth, and sharpen your faith. All of this ultimately leads us to, and we'll come back to some of the lessons there, but again, this leads us to a committed communion with a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Remember that? Sticks closer than a brother? That stick language there? The word there is the bach. It's the same word that is used in Genesis 2:24, when it says, a man shall leave his father and mother. Y'all remember this? And cleave to his wife, stick to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's who Jesus is for you. That's who Jesus is for us, Christian. Live it and live your friendships around the one who cleaves to you and may you cleave to him now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.